Welcome to Democracy, the podcast that shines light on some of the darkest challenges facing the fight for democracy around the globe. Brought to you by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening, in partnership and funding from our friends at the United States Agency for International Development through the Democratic Elections Political Processes Cooperative Agreement. I'm your host, Adrian Ross. In this Defending Democracy series, you've heard from a lot of Ukrainians who were at home sleeping in the heart of Kyiv when Russia attacked at dawn, February 24, 2022. The Russian invasion marked a cataclysmic end to weeks of diplomatic talks and months of Russian troop buildup along the Ukrainian border. At the center of it all lay Kyiv, the nation's capital. Before Russia's invasion, 3.6 million people called this modern city home. But as fighting grew, the highway west out of town became choked with cars full of people fleeing. Kyiv, after all, is where the country's state institutions, key decision makers, and treasures from Ukraine's rich history all exist. Along with the famous mayor, the former world heavyweight boxing champ, and longtime friend of the consortium, the Honorable Mayor Vitaly Klitschko. We spoke to him last season, so of course I had to check back in with him now. You'll hear in his own words what's at stake for all of Ukraine. But first, I want to give you a brief look at the history of this capital city with Alex Lawson. Before the war, Kiev was Ukraine's most prosperous city. For 32 years, the capital served as a living tribute to democracy, the site where Ukrainians came together from all over the country to defend hard-won gains for freedom during three revolutions. Kiev's well-lit streets featured lush green spaces, chic restaurants, high-end shopping, and big festivals. Combined with solid infrastructure, public transportation, and a strong economy, the city was a democratic stronghold. Today, the golden domes of historic monasteries and churches, like St. Sophia and St. Michael, dot the horizon with the promise that Ukraine's deep spirituality and freedom of religion are still alive here. But if the Russians could seize this seat of power, or perhaps cause government officials to flee, the defense of the country would quickly unravel. Or at least, that seemed to be the Kremlin's plan. Instead, Ukrainians fought back. Finally, after weeks of heavy shelling, Russian forces retreated from the city's limits. For now, while not on the front lines of this war, Kyiv continues to be a main target for Russia's missiles and kamikaze drones, putting ordinary citizens hundreds of miles from the front lines in harm's way. One of those citizens is Natalia Yumkachuk. For the past 18 years, Natalia has called Kyiv home. Before the war, she and her colleagues at the International Republican Institute trained hundreds of Ukrainian women to run for office and to talk to voters on behalf of the consortium. But of course, that has all changed. In fact, Natalia's whole life was upended last February. She had just adopted a puppy the day before the war broke out. Then, after a close call with a missile, Natalia made the courageous decision to leave Kiev for Washington, D.C. That's where I sat down with her in person. Hear just how emotional it has been for her 
to embark on this part adventure, part trip of survival. One morning, actually, it was very scary because the rocket was flying near my house. And uh, after I was uh, watching the video, that was really like kind of one kilometer from my house. She just like uh, flew through my house and after heated the railway infrastructure. So that was uh, probably the most dangerous uh, moment for me because the sound was very loud. And now I'm here. I am in Washington. It's so far from... Ukraine. I was very emotional to come here because I had my flight schedule for October 11. And October 10, Kyiv and many, many cities in Ukraine was attacked by Russia. So that was very difficult for me to fly. And actually, all the way in the plane, I was crying because my family and many Ukrainians didn't have like electricity, internet, water. Uh, no connections, you know. My brother is in army, and uh, I worry about him. Uh, my sister's husband, father. Each Ukrainians has somebody, friend, family member, colleague who is in front line. It's kind of like parallel reality when you see another world. Uh, for example, when I just came here to Washington. I was, you know, like just like observing everything and I see like this normal life and uh, I understand that right now at the same moment people dying in Ukraine. We know you're here in Washington but your heart is in Ukraine. Yes, it is. Uh part of your work at IRI is to oversee the Women's Democracy Network. What has that work been like during the past year and why is it important to focus on that work now? For example, before the election 2020, IRI under SEPS umbrella did the campaigning trainings and we trained 100 women how to build election campaign, how to talk to voters, how to be elected, yes, and who is the elected officials. So we did these trainings and after 30% of women were elected. When the war started, we designed a program supporting women-led initiatives during the wartime. So what do we do now? Under this project, we, WDN, provide psychological consultation to women IDPs, psychological consultation to women council members, to volunteers, to trainers. We also provide legal consultations to women because so many women, when... They wanted to leave the dangerous places, for example, like from eastern uh, Ukraine. They just took their kids and they were not thinking about anything like documents, but they just were thinking about to save their lives. So now when they are abroad or when they are in western Ukraine, they are without documents, you know, and our lawyers help them to renovate this document. They just like provide advices to which office women need to go, what like uh, she need to do. Another activity, uh, just recently, WDN organized the study trip for six women to Bosnia and Herzegovina. IRI just wanted to uh, connect our women with the women and with politicians in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Why we select this country? Because in 90s, uh, these countries also survived the war. 
More than ever before, women are on the front lines. I think something like 50,000 women are serving in the military. How has that changing society right now? And what has it been like for you to witness that dedication? Many women fighting on different fronts, yeah, like diplomatic front, on volunteers front. But to be on the front line, um, they are heroes. Every Ukrainian has had the feeling that, yeah, that you're doing not enough. And even me, I had the feeling that maybe I need to join army, maybe I need to join medical battalion. Even I don't have any medical background, but I had the thought because like, I was volunteering in the first days of the war. I was fundraising money. Uh, with my sisters, we fundraised $10,000 and we uh, bought the helmet, we bought the thermo imagers, we bought the protective vest for our brothers' units. And uh, even like we did like these jobs as volunteers, I was like feeling that maybe it's not enough because I saw this another women who are on the front line. Have you had to buy a lot of supplies for your brother's unit? We got so many things. And not just for my brother, we got like uh, these things for uh, his units. And they are like uh, 100 soldiers. So, of course, like at that moment, you were not thinking just about your brothers. Because like, you know, like if he will be uh, feeling good because like he has helmet, but his uh, friend doesn't have helmets, so it will not help them as a team, you know? So we were supporting all uh, military units. Switching gears a little bit, um, let's talk about women running for office. We've seen so many Ukrainian women abroad looking for help for Ukraine. What has the war done to women's public role in Ukraine? We have so many visits uh, of Ukrainian MPs abroad. And the really great uh, that Olena Zelenska, the first lady, she was a speaker in the U.S. Congress. She was speaker just recently in the Parliament of Great Britain. And she just tried to tell to politicians the separate stories which Ukrainians just live today. For example, like, I remember that she told about the four years old Lisa who were going in the morning, just like had walk with her mother in the morning. And the Russian missile hit it Vinitsa and this four years old Lisa died. Another story, it's about two days newborn baby. This newborn baby were killed in the maternity hospital because Russia missile hit the maternity hospital. So who will know about these stories if not our women will talk about it? How do you think their voices change the conversation? Women can tell like these separate stories, you know, because men, they can tell like, okay, we have like these numbers of people die. We have like these numbers of people on uh, military service. So men could be like more formal, you know, and women, they also can like provide all these numbers, but they tell in like these stories and these stories can touch politicians, That uh, these stories can touch people. One of the women who I would imagine is, is considered quite a hero in Ukraine is the mayor who was killed recently with her whole family outside of Kiev when she refused to comply with the Russians' demands. How has the war impacted women politicians, particularly in Ukraine? And do you think they'll serve in the future or has the cost become too great? 
You are talking about the Olga Suhenko. She she was the mayor of Motyzhen. It is a, a village in Kiev region. And yeah, she she paid the high price. She is dead now with her family, with her husband and with her son because she didn't want to collaborate with Russians. Uh, and it's so dangerous because today you can be killed because you are Ukrainian and you speak Ukrainian. And now people in occupied cities, they just, you know, need to need to be fight for their life. They need to be Ukrainian because Russian can kill them. So, but but our people will continue to fight. My colleague and partner, Irina Slava, she is the head of Women Democracy Network in Ukraine. She was living in Melitopol, and this city is occupied now. So she was staying in Melitopol one month under occupation. And she was in the bombing shelter. She tried to escape the city several times with her daughter and with her husband, but it was not able. And one day the council member of the Parisian Regional Council was kidnapped. And she said, like, oh my gosh, I'm worried about myself. And she decided to leave city one more time, and she was successful. And just next day, when she leaves the city, the Russia occupiers came to her husband, and they kidnapped her husband. And after one day, uh, she was able to contact him, and he said, you know, like, Russian occupiers took me. They asked, like, where is your wife? Because we know that she is very active. She is actually the advisor to mayor in Melitopol, and mayor of Melitopol also was kidnapped. And uh, they asked, like, okay, will she be back? And he said, probably no, because she is scared of her life. And they said, okay, tell your wife that we know that you are here. We know the address of your home. We know, like, the address of, uh, I don't know, like, of your summer house. They knew everything, you know. They just, I don't know how they collected this data, but they knew everything about her family. And they said to her husband, just like, we want your wife be, like, more quiet because you are here under occupation. And if she will do something, like, we can take you, you know. But she is now, of course, like, in Germany. And uh, she said that, of course, she will be back to her home when the city will be liberated. And she believes that, the, that her city will be liberated because of the story of the mayor of Motyzhen who was killed. Even the story that her husband was kidnapped and the Russian occupiers asked for her, she is not dangerous, you know, because like she believes like we will uh, liberate our cities. And who will rebuild our country if not we? Ukraine will win this war. We now need one thing. We need words to support us more. We need a word to support us with weapon. But now we are in the very difficult, we, we just like struggle very difficult times. People do not have electricity. People do not have mobile connection, internet connection, uh, water supply, no heating. But you know, like the, the, the big and happy moments will be like when we will have no Russian in our country. So we can survive everything. And um, we just need a word to help us.
If there's one thing you could tell everybody about Ukraine, what would it be? Ukraine is uh, the best place to live, and it's proud to be Ukrainian because it's our land, and um, we don't have other home. And you know, like why Russia wanted to occupy our territories? Because probably Russia knows that it is the best place in the world, and our people they are very brave. Natalia Yamkachok, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Adriana. Among the bravest of Ukraine's citizens are arguably the country's mayors. In many cases, they regularly risk their lives to bring order, compassion, and courage to their hometowns. Yet as we've seen throughout this Defending Democracy series, Ukraine's mayors are highly desired targets. Few are as well-known throughout the world as the mayor of Kyiv, Vitaly Klitschko. Famous in the boxing ring for his formidable height and skill, the former heavyweight champ was elected mayor of Kyiv in 2014. He's also the son of a Soviet Air Force officer and survivor of the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Mayor Klitschko knows exactly what he's fighting for, and he says no one wants to go back to the USSR. Actually, in this war, every citizen of Ukraine is target. And uh, yes, of course, the leaders of communities, uh, mayors of cities, was all first target for Russians. And uh, more than 30 uh, mayors of cities in Ukraine was kidnapped in this time. And uh, I guess seven mayors right now disappeared. We don't know where where the mayors and uh, we hope they still alive. Actually, right now, is a strange time for everyone and uh, the mayors is responsible for services in our communities. And we see what happens right now in Ukraine. It's uh, everything is a liar from Russians. They talk about special operations, the war. It's not the special operations. It's genocide. It's terrorism. They want to kill everyone or everyone have to leave our country and make uh, country free for Russians. They need Ukraine without Ukrainians. They just want your land. They don't care if you're in it. They don't care about the people. They need property. And uh, Putin presents himself uh, as collector of Russian property and told we never accept their, their Ukraine have independence. Ukraine is never was a country and uh, it's all Russian empire. And his crazy idea to rebuild Russian empire, to rebuild Soviet empire. And they're talking right now about Poland, Baltic countries, and they go as far we allowed them to go. And that's why we're fighting and defending right now, not just our families and our homes. We're defending another European country. We're defending right now whole world from this crazy idea. We're defending democracy because we have our wish to build modern European democratic country. We see you here in the United States on video all the time. You're out, you're in the city, you're with your people. Are you still doing that? Is that too dangerous for you to do now? Yes, of course, it's dangerous for everyone uh, in our hometown because any second, everyone has to go to the shelters 
to the bunkers uh, because uh, any second the Russian rockets destroyed any buildings. By the way, it's our hometown. The Kyiv was not the front line, but in our hometowns destroyed 678 buildings, 350 apartments building, and killed 152 citizens for children. Can you take us back to the first few days of the invasion and the battle for Kyiv? Could you believe that the war had even started? Actually, we have uh, a lot of information from our partners, but uh, in the last second, we don't believe in um, uh, modern time, in present time, to make a war. It's the biggest war after the Second World War right now, what is happens in Ukraine. To be honest, don't believe it can happen. But today we see the hard reality. What's it been like to do your job the last year? The city of Kiev is the uh, largest uh, city in Ukraine. It's the largest city in East Europe. Uh, 3.6 million citizens right now in our hometown. And we're responsible for services for our citizens. It's electricity, water, heating, and all services for our citizens and it's this critical time. If the infrastructure is destroyed, the economy doesn't work. It's, uh, it's during the war. It's big challenge. Challenge every day what we have to give the services to everyone. The people need help. We're working nonstop because uh, we don't have a break. And city uh, live and need services 24-7. And that's why we're responsible for that. We're responsible for lives of the people. And that's why it's job not non-stop. If you ask me about the last 300 days, I have a feeling it's one long, long day. Non-stop. I've understood you work out every single day. You're in fantastic shape, but aren't you tired? Uh, it's not easy, but I have sport background and uh, that's why I'm strong. I'm strong and uh, I don't want to complain. It's not easy, but I'm strong, powerful, and that's why I never give up, and I'm still fighting for my hometown. Last time we spoke, you talked about Kyiv being a leader for all of Ukraine. What role do you think the city itself plays now, and you as its mayor? Sounds like you think you need to stay strong for the country. Kyiv is the capital of Ukraine. It's, yes, of course, uh, the Kyiv was and still target of, of Russians. It's very important to support another cities also because we have much more possibility to help. We send help to Kharkiv, to Kherson, to Nikolaev, and to give support to everyone. We're thinking about the, our patriots who are right now on the front line in cold weather conditions, without electricity, without heating, without water. They're fighting and pay for our freedom. Biggest prize, his lives. Just thinking about that, it's huge motivation for every one of us. It's very important to be present. It's very important to be together with people. It's very important to give the objective uh, and real information and to give it to everyone the feeling we care about everyone in our hometown. And that's why I spend a lot of time every day in Kyiv, in the street, to talk to the people. Have you had a hard time getting true information out the door? Are you being bombarded with misinformation and disinformation? Information today is uh, much more important than weapons, uh, bullets, planes, tanks. It's, uh, it's very important to give objective, true information to everyone. 
is Russians also try to bring the uh, disinformation to Ukraine and also in Europe and the world. And that's why I talking so much to uh, in other countries, to other mayors. I uh, give reports about current situation in, in Ukraine. It's very important. Objective information is main priority for whole world today. Can you talk a little bit about why you've been renaming the streets in Kyiv? It's a lot of uh, streets uh, have a name from Soviet time. It have a name from cities which are right now aggressive to Ukraine. And that's why we decide to rename the streets. For example, Moscow streets. Uh-uh. Much better, much better to rename the streets London streets <laughs> as Moscow. Russia is so aggressive, brings so many trouble brings so many debt for our country and that's why it's not just my wishes wish from our citizens to rename the streets we make a polls and we're asking for which name we have to remind the streets and uh, our citizens decide and decision of citizens is rule for us and we do that Can you talk a little bit about how it was growing up under communist rule in the USSR? How has that made you such a believer in democracy? It happens our father was Air Force officer and he was communist. And we know how big influence have Soviet propaganda for every one of us. And uh, as sportsmen have a chance after pre-strike time to travel around the world, to uh, spend a lot of time in Europe, in the United States. And I understand uh, everything what we receive uh, uh, years long in Soviet time is was lie. Lie about um, uh, United States, lie about Europe. I know better than anyone uh, because my background from Soviet Union, how bad a system and my short message to Mr. Putin. We never was want back to USSR. Our future as part of European family, as democratic country. And that's why we're fighting for our future. We don't want back to USSR. I think also it probably helps you understand the Russian think right now. Uh, yes, of course. I understand it pretty well. Russians doesn't have objective information. The Russians uh, give as poison the uh, lie to everyone. Uh, they're talking about great Russia. It's whole world against Russia. The whole world uh, to want to attack Russia. And they explain about Ukraine as fascist, nationalist, and uh, radicals country. We hated Russians. It's everything liar, and uh, they definitely give main question to Russian government. For which reason died my son, my husband, my brother, my relative. We defend not just our homeland, not just our homes and our families. We defend the same values, what we have in the United States, what we have in the democratic world. And that's why we're fighting for every one of you. Is that the most, the single most important message you want people to understand about this war? Everyone has to understand. If we want to live in the peace, if we want to live in the freedom, 
please stay with Ukraine because we fighting right now, first of all, of democracy. We see our country as democratic country. Largest country in Europe, Ukraine, have to be democratic countries. We're fighting for that. We're fighting for future of our children. It's very painful to see young kids injured, no legs, no arms in the hospitals, talk to them. And uh, they so motivated. They so uh, motivated to stay healthy and coming back and defend our homeland. And after discussion with our patriots, uh, always, I think, I'm very proud to be Ukrainian. The war today totally changed life for everyone in Ukraine. Everyone understand how important to be winner today. How important to defend our vision. We see bad results of Russia uh, with authority. Uh, no press freedom in Russia. No human rights. No opposition. Uh, no rules. Authority. We don't want to live in authority. And that's why we're fighting right now for better future. And we need support from our partners. And I know some of that is military support, but what else, what is your number one need right now? Safety is main priority for everyone in our homeland. And that's why every day you know, we listen uh, alarm where we have to go immediately to uh, shelters. And today, 300 second day of the war. In this period of time, it's mean one month in, in this year, every Ukrainian spent in underground, in the shelters. And uh, it's a difficult time. It's a lot of challenges. But every Ukrainian is strong. And uh, we show our character and our will to live with democracy. Without your help, we can survive. We very appreciate and never forget your help. Life important for us. Life important to feel we are not alone. We are together and give to us much more power. What do you look forward to the most when this war ends? You believe or not, my children in uh, almost one year outside of the country and I didn't see my children. I didn't see my family. And uh, my biggest wish to hanging uh, up the children, kissing children again, and it's main priority for me. I bet they can't wait to see you too. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, talking to, through the Skype, but uh, it's not uh, real contact to the family. And uh, I have a dream to celebrate New Year, Christmas together with family. It's hard to get hugs through FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult hugs uh, through FaceTime. But uh, it's my, you asking about my dream, I give you answer. <laughs> a good answer sir it's hard to match that if someone think the war far away 
if someone saying the war doesn't touch him personally. Biggest mistake. This war actually touched everyone in Europe. This war actually can touch everyone in the world. We have to do everything possible to stop this senseless war and unity with our country. Support of Ukraine is a key for peace and freedom, not just in Europe, around the world. And one more time, thank you for everyone who support Ukraine. We need your support. It's life important for us. And please, don't forget, we're fighting for every one of you. The Honorable Mayor Klitschko, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for the support. So far, Kievans have renamed nearly 100 of the city's streets as part of their effort to erase Russian and Soviet names from the city and instead honor Ukraine's more than 30 years of independence. On the next episode... Next way for Ukraine is to succeed in democratic transformation. The 2022 Nobel laureate Oleksandra Matvichuk wants justice for thousands of Ukrainian war crime victims. Plus, is Ukraine fighting two wars? The head of President Zelensky's anti-corruption task force has answers as we look ahead to the future of Ukraine. Democracy, the podcast, is brought to you by the Consortium for Elections and Political Process Strengthening through the Democratic Elections Political Processes Cooperative Agreement and is made possible by the generous support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development. Opinions expressed here are those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. This podcast is produced by Evo Terra and Sam Walker of Simpler Media Productions. For more information on Democracy, the podcast, and to access the complete archives, please visit seps.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>